welcome to Head in the Cloud. I'm your host, John Svazik. So this is our first podcast, and as such, we're going to have just a brief introduction about you know who I am, what's the purpose of the podcast, um, what can you expect if you're listening, that sort of thing. So currently, I'm a CSO at a small company based out in Waterloo, Ontario, in Canada. I've been there for five years, uh, started off as being one of their uh, lead developers, senior developers, whatever, and kind of got put into the role of chief security officer based on my past experience working at a SIM vendor and the fact that I started freaking out when people are like, how are we going to handle storing passwords? And I said, well, we're not going to use MD5. That's for, that's for sure. Uh, let's use bcrypt. And from there, they kind of said, oh, so you kind of know stuff about security. I'm like, well, yeah, I have some history with it. So sure. And then next thing you know, I become the chief security officer in that many years later, here I am. So Overall, I've got just over 20 years of experience in the IT field, mostly in software development. That's that's sort of my wheelhouse. That's where I started. Um, I've been doing cloud development now for the last five years. And prior to that, I worked for a rather large uh, telecom company, uh, mobile uh, communications. And likewise, I spent a couple of years, about three and some odd years, being the manager at a uh, SIM vendor. Uh, so I helped oversee the migration of uh, software-based SIM appliance into a hardware uh, offering, a little appliance-based uh, offering, which was an interesting transition. Uh, we had numerous... Uh, customers, obviously, NDAs in place, can't talk about them, even though it's been a couple of years. Uh, we'll play it safe that way. Uh, as far as cloud-based work, I'm actually a certified Amazon Solutions Architect Associate. I will be working on the professional, just not quite yet. Uh, I've been working with Amazon's cloud for the past five years. The, the current company I'm with, we were actually born in the cloud and kind of live in the cloud. And it's an interesting thing, uh, especially if you're coming from a more traditional uh, client server model or an enterprise model or an, even a desktop end user model. Uh, the cloud is, is definitely got its own sort of set of priorities and uh, challenges, especially when it comes to security. So the purpose of this podcast was basically I've been listening to numerous other security podcasts, and they're, they're all great. Um, there's a lot of really, really smart people out there, but one of the things that I noticed is the cloud-based stuff seems to be, at least from what I've managed to find, and I'm definitely not an expert in all the other podcasts that are out there, but the ones that I've managed to come across, while great from a security perspective for classic enterprise where you own the network top to bottom, the cloud side felt a little lacking. So I said, hey, you know what? I know the cloud. Um, I know what's, uh, what I, what's worked with me. 
um, maybe I can share some knowledge and some uh, experiences, share a couple of stories, and hey, who knows, maybe someone will actually tune in and listen. So that's kind of the main purpose of the podcast is sort of share some experiences that I've had and talk about what I've uh, worked on, what's what's been good, and what I think is somewhat relevant to the world of cloud. This is kind of aimed at people that are either new to the security field, new to uh, cloud-based services, or just just curious. So you know, take it take it for what it is. Uh, we're not the end-all, be-all authority. There is no such thing on all things cloud security, all things um, Amazon, unless you work for Amazon, in which case I guess that would work, but say la vie. So yeah, that's kind of uh, that's kind of the take on why we're doing this. And of course, I also have the usual selfish reasons. Uh, the most selfish reason being uh, this will force me to make myself better by working out the various ideas, the various uh, concepts, the various tools, various approaches that are relevant to cloud computing. And if I have to force myself to uh, learn about them, then that will make me a better security professional. And at the same time, maybe I can share some of that knowledge with you guys, which will make all of us better security professionals, which will just make the field that much better. So anyway, for this first podcast, now we've got that introduction out of the way, uh, I wanted to focus on some common cloud security misconceptions. So these are things that people, when they hear about the cloud, they either think this is a fact or this is uh, uh, something that they need to be aware of. And maybe this is going to either hold them back or make them run headlong into the cloud thinking it's the panacea that will save their business. And I just want to talk about the top five uh, that I've come across uh, and see what, uh, see what we can do uh, about clearing those up. So some of these things uh, we might find, I, I am going, I'll be, I'll be honest and upfront. This is a cloud-based podcast, but I am going to be focusing on Amazon probably more than say Google or Azure or uh, IBM or any of the others. And that's not because of preference. That's not because that's who we use. That's not because that's what I'm certified in. It's just they're the juggernaut in the field. There was a uh, research report from the Synergy Research Group that was released in February 2017 that shows that currently Amazon holds about 40% of the cloud market with Azure, Google, and IBM together taking uh, 23% of the market. So to put that in perspective, Amazon has nearly twice as much market share as their next three competitors combined. Right? The remainder, uh, remainder of the market is spread out amongst smaller players. Um, so I'll post a link to that actual article for those who are interested uh, in seeing what that is, uh, and what the breakdown is, and how they compared year over year. So. The others are growing. Amazon used to have a bigger market share, but it's slipped just a bit. And I believe it is 
Google of all players that's growing, um, if memory serves from that article. But anyway, enough about that. Let's turn and look at the top five cloud security misconceptions in no particular order, because obviously all of them are, are either bad or untrue, um, but it's not necessarily one's worse than the other. So uh, the first one is common misconception I hear a lot. The cloud is not secure at all. Oh my God, the cloud is a giant sieve and I'm going to put my data in it and every hacksaw that is out in the marketplace is immediately going to get my data and I am screwed. This is not true. Uh, if you go with a reputable cloud vendor, reputable being someone who actually has some sway in the field. So the big, the big four, IBM, Google, uh, Microsoft, or Amazon, they have probably stronger security for their data centers than you do at your enterprise uh, right now. Unless you are working for a three-letter agency, I would argue that chances are these guys probably have uh, much more strict uh, processes and controls in place than what you would normally have uh, on your side. The cloud vendors have it in their best interest to secure their infrastructure. Now, notice I'm going to be talking about infrastructure here, not necessarily the, the end application. We're going to get into that in the next point. But essentially, take a look at a couple of the marketing, a few of the marketing bullet points that, say, Amazon has. The number of accreditations and certifications that they have uh, will probably dwarf nearly every other enterprise organization in terms of what they have to go through, the rigor that they have to go through in order to um, certify their, their data centers. So they're probably really, really good at keeping the actual physical data safer than your average, uh, your average enterprise bear. So, uh, and they do offer quite a number of tools to help make sure that your own data that you store within the cloud and your own instances that you work with in the cloud are likewise uh, locked down fairly tightly. This kind of leads us into the second uh, fallacy, the second misconception that the cloud is so secure, I don't need to do anything. So this is kind of the flip side of the same coin. And it's equally untrue. Yes, the data centers themselves are incredibly robust. Yes, they are incredibly secure. Yes, they've had to go through a lot of different certifications and accreditations and everything else. However, that doesn't mean that you're off the hook. And in Amazon's case, and I'm sure the other cloud vendors are the same, they make this pretty clear. Yes, we have some really strong and secure infrastructure. We are definitely keeping the data centers safe. But you're responsible for the systems that you bring up. So the VMs that you start, you're responsible for hardening that OS. You're responsible for figuring out your encryption strategy. You're responsible for checking to make sure that the firewall rules or security groups, as they're called in Amazon, are all set up. You are responsible for a lot of 
the minutiae and the smaller configuration details um, that are there. So they do offer quite a bit, and that will take you so far, but you are still responsible for these smaller things. So for example, if you're going to be storing passwords uh, in a database, sure, Amazon will offer you their RDS service, Azure will offer their SQL Server uh, in the cloud, their Active Directory, uh, Azure AD uh, for authentication. But if you're storing plain text passwords in a database, even if that database itself is encrypted, you still have the risk of the uh, data somehow being dumped because maybe you've got a vulnerable web application that has an open connection to that database. And someone who does a pen test or a hacker that comes in through, say, cross-site request forgery or a um, cross-site scripting or even just a plain SQL injection manages to get a dump of that data. If you have plain text data, all that hardening that Amazon has done in their data center is not going to help you at all. Right? You're still responsible for that level of applications, uh, application security be that encryption, be that uh, uh, any other sort of hardening that you want to do. Patching levels, for example, keep making sure your operating system is patched to the latest vulnerabilities, or against the latest vulnerabilities, I should say. Um, monitoring as well, uh, what, like, be that an IDS, be that a port for port scans, be that for brute force uh, attacks, you know, whatever else. You still have a responsibility. I would say that from the perspective of making sure the network itself is secure, making sure that the VMs themselves are secure and that whole infrastructure supporting the cloud, yes, the cloud vendors are great for that, but you still have, as a, as a user of the cloud, you still have a responsibility to make sure that the services that you're setting up and, and building and using, they themselves are also secure. So you're not quite off the hook if you go to the cloud. So, and this kind of leads into the next, the next uh, misconception, which is uh, number three, I can't secure anything in the cloud because I don't have access to the hardware. So this is an interesting one because this is often uh, discussions that I've had actually with uh, customers and their security groups who then ask, well, what type of firewalls are you running? And I would say, well, we're using uh, the cloud provider's hardware or their cloud provider's firewall, I should say. Well, what brand is it? And I said, well, I don't know what brand it is. I don't have that that level for Amazon, it's it's they they call them security groups. The, the rules are there. I have complete uh, ingress and egress control. I can control what goes in, what goes out. I can control the protocols, the ports, the ranges, the source IPs. Uh, I I have control over over all of that and going in in both directions. Was well, it is it Cisco? Is it Juniper? Is it I don't, I don't know. Well, why don't you know? Because it's it's in the cloud. And uh, oftentimes I find with traditional um, 
IT departments and traditional uh, security uh, personnel, professionals that are used to an enterprise where they, they know like, hey, I've got a, a source fire firewall over here or a, a, a Juniper uh, firewall, or maybe I've got a Cisco switch or, or whatever it happens to be. They're used to having control of the physical device. They know that, hey man, I can, I can hook up a, a null cable to this thing. Uh, I can get my serial console up on this guy and just do my work that way. So this is kind of a, uh, again, this this misconception that because you don't have physical access to the hardware, obviously you are uh, in a world of hurt. And there's no way you can totally guarantee that, uh, that your data is safe. My counter argument to that is you are never totally guaranteed that any of your data is safe, even if you have the hardware itself, right? So the the general approach that that I take with this, at least in, in my personal opinion, is I don't need access to the physical locations or the physical devices that are being used in the cloud. I have to have that level of trust with my cloud provider. I can do everything on my end to obfuscate, to encrypt, to encode, uh, encode and encryption, not the same thing, obviously, uh, but make sure that the data that I have is as secure as I can make it. And when I give that data to the cloud provider, there is a level of trust that I have to have that they will do everything within their power to uh, keep that safe. Now, obviously a really good way to judge how much trust you have, now trust is relative, right? Everyone's gonna have their own definition of how much they're going to trust someone or what it takes to establish that level of trust. For myself, I'm gonna take a look at what are the uh, certifications and compliance uh, frameworks that have been successfully implemented by the cloud provider. Again, uh, looking at Amazon, they've got more certifications and compliance um, passes than I care to uh, that I would ever care to uh, to undergo. They have PCI SOC one, two, and three, ISO twenty seven thousand and one, FIPS one forty. Um, when I was working with the SIM vendor, I actually had to go through a FIPS compliance uh, audit. And I can tell you from that, that was a nightmare uh, in and of itself. So the fact that in addition to all of that, they've got all these other uh, compliance uh, audits that have been completed successfully, I pretty much have faith that the uh, the fact that I don't have physical access to the hardware or physical access to the data center, that that's okay for me, right? So that, that works. That For me, that meets my minimum requirement for trust of, of the data that I'm going to put into the system. Um, now, obviously, if there's more sensitive data, sure, I'm going to have to worry about rogue actors within Amazon themselves, and I'll, I'll do what I can to make sure that... Uh, that should a rogue actor within Amazon try to access my data that they can't have anything, uh, any access to, uh, to anything sensitive. 
So I will put an asterisk on all of this, of course. Uh, obviously, compliance is not equal to security. Just because you are compliant with, say, PCI does not mean that you are secure. It just establishes essentially a baseline. Uh, case in point, you know, they're the giant uh, target breach from a couple of years ago. Target was PCI compliant. They had just passed a PCI audit and yet they had had massive breach so obviously that's not uh indicative of um being secure just because you've passed a compliance audit so anyway going on to point number four and this one isn't necessarily related to the uh, cloud provider but rather cloud applications so point number four is if I use a cloud app, I'm safe and secure. So this is from an end user perspective, and this is something that um, we need to be aware of as well. If you are using the cloud for your own product, oftentimes what ends up happening is you feel the need to sort of pay it forward and you want to share your uh, faith in the cloud by using other uh, services, other SaaS products or uh, IaaS or PaaS products out in the, in the cloud, and you want to, again, you want to pay it forward and you want to just use as many cloud-based services as you can. And obviously, since you've done such a bang-up job with the cloud, you know how secure everything is. Obviously, you can just trust everybody else, and that's not 100% true. Again, just like every other piece of software that you would end up uh, working with, um, you need to do your own risk assessments. What's the type of data that you're going to be storing or using with this application? Is it of a sensitive nature? If it is of a sensitive nature, what assurances do you have from the vendor? You know, do you do they follow any sort of uh, standards with their product? Um, are they storing PII? Are they storing anything um, with regards to credit card data? If they are, are they PCI compliant? Uh, is there any health data that's being stored? Are they HIPAA compliant? Um, that sort of thing. So these are things that, again, don't fall into the trap that just because maybe you're safe and secure with your cloud providing um, or cloud provider and your capabilities working with that cloud provider that everybody else is also uh, following that that strict moral code because it turns out they they might not be they might have fallen into the second uh, uh, misconception that we talked about that the cloud is so secure I don't need to do anything so but again, at the same time, if you're working with a application that stores your shopping list in the cloud, okay, they don't need to be uh, PCI compliant. They don't need FIPS 140, right? That's that's just ridiculous. You're storing shopping list items. That's there's no PII there. There's no sensitive data there. There's no passwords really stored there. Um, you should be using a different password for every application that you have anyway. But again, future topic, we'll get into that. And that's a very interesting, heated topic. I'm sure that more than a few people would love to uh, to have a good discussion about that. So 
So again, you know, weigh the pros and cons, try to understand what is it that you want to store in the cloud? What is it that you uh, need from that uh, service in terms of protection and how sensitive that data is? And what's the risk if that data does get leaked, right? Let that be your, your sort of guide and figuring out so don't don't just blindly go and trust every other cloud service provider or cloud-based application just because you yourself are in the cloud you know do do your research and try to uh, make informed decisions and then finally um this one's fun the cloud is expensive we'll just do it ourselves uh yeah Oftentimes, the people who make this call are people who have never built a data center from scratch. Uh, they think, I can just buy three computers and I'll just toss them in there and we'll open up our uh, business-based internet connection to the world and just say, go. That's not quite as easy as it goes, right? There's, there's the, the, the capital expenditure for building up your own data center is ridiculously high so you have to keep in mind that it's not necessarily as as cheap as it seems uh, as you grow all of a sudden those servers that you've uh, built up for that initial offering they're underpowered so now you've got to bring new ones in and what do you do with the old ones well we could try to sell them off but then we're going to go at a loss and you know, they they start depreciating in value as soon as we plug them in, as soon as we unbox them. Um, and then there are those that try to be proactive and they purchase multiple machines that sit in boxes waiting for the time that, oh, we're starting to reach capacity. You know, we're at 75% quick. Let's unpack a couple of machines, bring them up. Uh, but for the most most of the time, they're just sitting there this is it, it's it's just a ridiculous uh ridiculous point so the reality is that the cloud allows you to spin up servers and systems as you need them and scale as you need them it's very elastic very dynamic in nature that's the draw of the cloud and this need for uh immense capex uh initially to set up an environment just isn't there if you want to do a proof of concept and you just need a, maybe one or two small machines you can bring up one or two small machines run them for three or four hours see how your system works and then uh you know shut them down pay for what you need when you need it and not more than that now Having said all of that, you do have to be cognizant of the systems that you're using, cognizant of the uh, resources from your various cloud vendors, and clean up after yourself. So when you don't need these machines anymore, take them down. When you don't need these environments, these facilities, these uh, support applications, be them load balancers, databases, whatever else, tear them down. Uh, Amazon is great at giving you a ton of flexibility, for example, but they're also really good at nickel and diming you, especially if you forget to take something down. So for example, elastic IPs that are not in use 
incur additional cost if you bring up additional EC2 volumes for your VMs that don't get destroyed when the VM goes down, you're going to pay for that. If you've created any manual RDS snapshots, they don't go away after you tear down the RDS instance. Uh, are you using any of their load balancers? Because those will stick around as well. So what I normally do in environments like this is this is where DevOps comes into play. And DevOps is going to be a big discussion that we're going to have in a future uh, podcast as well. So I'll use tools like Terraform or CloudFormation or even things like Chef and Puppet and Ansible. These are all great DevOps tools that help you sort of keep track of what are the resources that you're using, what's the setup that you're doing, uh, now, obviously, for the bigger infrastructure things, something like Terraform or CloudFormation is, is more where I would go. Um, but even some of the smaller things like um, configuring EBS volumes, locking them down, that sort of thing I would do using like a chef or, or a puppet. So, but the point is that the cloud is much more cost effective, but it doesn't mean that it's, it's uh, optimized. You still have to be aware of um, what resources you are using and cleaning up properly after yourself when you're done. Because it, because there are so many different things you can do, it's very easy to lose track. So, so there is a lot more to learn about cloud computing and how it's changed. And it really has how it's changed the way we normally look at security from an information uh, systems perspective. From an IT perspective, security is, is much different in the cloud. There's a lot of overlap with your traditional uh, enterprise security. However, there is new challenges and there's new ways of doing things and just a, a way of rethinking how something uh, how something works in the cloud. So, uh, one of the trends that I've been noticing is that you know, the traditional security guys and gals, uh, traditional security professionals sometimes have a hard time understanding the cloud and they tend to kind of lag behind in how to best secure it. And an interesting trend that I'm noticing is the DevOps community, the whole secure DevOps, the whole uh, hardened DevOps, uh, there's so a bunch of different phrases for it now, but the DevOps groups seem to be taking more of a lead in security, even though they're kind of coming from a more traditional IT or even development background. And they're starting to understand that, hey, man, there there is more more to this than, than just uh, bringing up a server or launching a Tomcat instance or making sure Apache's running or you know, getting my SQL or PHP or Python or whatever it is up and running for, for their applications. They're starting to understand like, hey, I can actually control patching. I can control uh, OS level firewalls in addition to the firewalls offered by the cloud provider. So yeah, we're starting to see a lot more interest in uh, locking down the environments using DevOps, which is, uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting take. And one that I, that we will explore uh, again in future 
uh, podcasts. So anyway, that kind of wraps up the main topics that I wanted to uh, cover in this this initial podcast. Uh, by all means, thank you uh, for for listening. Um, hopefully, you found it enjoyable. Hopefully, you guys will feel like you would like to come and uh, hear me again. So, I've uh, got a couple of ideas for future podcasts. If any of you have suggestions, by all means, let us know. Let us, being me, let me know. Uh, you can find me. We've got uh, a couple of places you can you can reach me at. You can find uh, the website is myheadinthe.cloud. So head in the cloud was not available, so I had to add my to it. So it is essentially my head in the, and then it's the .cloud domain. You can reach me on Twitter at John's Not Here. Uh, obviously, being a true security professional, you want to be as transparent as possible and uh, not impact your end users and seem like a ghost. So. Actually, that's not the reason I picked John's not here. It's a rather lame story I might cover in a future podcast, but uh, not it's not really that interesting. Uh, I am on Facebook. We have a Facebook fan page for the podcast. It is facebook.com slash myheadinthecloud, all one word. Uh, I am on Peerlist as well. Uh, you can just look for my name, John Spazik, uh, and... You can find me on LinkedIn, uh, and yeah, we can kind of go from there. I've kind of given up on the Google Plus thing and tried it for a couple of other things. Wasn't really seeing that much uh, with it. Uh, might come back to it, might not. We'll see. But anyway, uh, thank you for listening, uh, and you know, stay safe, and have yourselves a great week. 